0: And you're listening to a special episode of the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Viper. Today's guests are Paul Templer, CEO, and Sebastian Prosser, Head of Account Management at Insurance Technology Solutions Specialist, Viper. Viper started out in the London market 14 years ago. From day one, its core offering was to provide a software solution to the endless administrative problem of the ingestion and checking of data in the delegated authority space. With around 40% of the business at Lloyd's transacted this way, it started life in a very fertile environment that was drowning in a mass of spreadsheets, emails, and stray documents. Today, it has grown enormously to be the largest player in this segment, with over 400,000 Bordereaux processed annually, relating to around five billion pounds of gross premium. This business is at the real coalface of digitization in our industry, and its development is following a ruthless logic. If you can ingest, verify and cleanse insurance data on a large scale, the next step is to start to analyse that data and gain genuine insights into the business you're writing. And once you can do all this, you can also speed up the process of onboarding new partners from a compliance perspective. My chat with Paul and Seb comes as Viper is making large strides internationally into the US and European markets on the back of significant new blue-chip investment. With digital initiatives gaining traction and prominence all over the insurance world, it's an exciting time for the market, and for Viper. Here we talk about the prospects for a far more efficient, digital and data-driven marketplace, the world of insurance software ecosystems, and the exciting expansion opportunities opening up for Viper and its clients. Paul and Seb are great company, and I highly recommend this episode to anyone looking to learn how to climb the first rung of the digital ladder. Enjoy the podcast. Paul and Seb, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Why don't you briefly introduce yourselves? But Viper, it's been on a really interesting journey. Well, actually, for 13, 14 years now. It's evolved tremendously in that time. Introduce yourselves and then tell us the story of that development and where you're heading now.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm Paul Templer. I'm the CEO at Viper. Yeah, I mean, the company has evolved tremendously. We started the business back in 2009. And you were there from the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I know I don't look that old, but yeah. And back then, we were really interested in focusing on boardroom management. And the principal driver behind that was the new Solvency 2 regulation that was kicking around at the time. And there's a real focus on on gathering data for delegated underwriting. I
0: remember I spent a huge amount of time as a journalist writing about the gathering storm of solvency right. too. Uh,
1: then it all fizzled out for a little bit <laughs> yes
0: well then we can have the uk version solvency coming through that i'm sure that will cause new little oh, yes. unintended consequences
1: <laughs> as well <laughs> indeed indeed yes yeah, so we were focusing on the border management side of things that data gathering and we were really successful at it we were focusing predominantly on the lloyd's market at the time that that was our key focus became very successful at that. But over the years, we've managed to expand what we do. And today, it's not really just about gathering the data, but it's what you do with that data once you've gathered it. And a big part of our business today is the analytical side of things. So actually looking at that data, making some sensible underwriting decisions off the back of it, and really understanding the information that's coming through in a much more in-depth way. What was your background before Viper? So I was in technology before this. So I worked with Richard and um, Bob Brown at a previous business they had. They're the other founders. Absolutely right. Yes. Yeah, so, so they had a business called Moneynet, which was the very first finance comparison website, ahead of money like oh, So yeah, I ran the technology for them. And then Bob had a background in the Lloyd's market. He was a Lloyd's broker for many, many years. I had some really good contacts and they were constantly asking him to help them solve some problems they had in the market. And eventually he succumbed and we decided to start Viper. So Seb, I mean, how did you come to join the business?
2: So I've actually joined just over two and a half years ago. My role has essentially evolved pretty much when I joined as a a business analyst working predominantly on the analytical platform that Paul mentioned. And my role has essentially progressed into now a kind of head of account management role where essentially oversee the 46 clients that we have, but primarily focusing on how well they can best optimize the platform with the analytical tool. Yeah, because I mean, the business
1: has already evolved even in that time, hasn't it?
0: Absolutely, So... Why don't you just give us an overview of your main products?
1: Yeah, sure, I can do that. So I guess the product we're best known for is Intrali. So Intrali is our border management tool. The simple idea behind that is that data is flowing into the market in lots of different shapes and sizes. Intrali allows our customers to standardise the data into a single format along the way, doing some very comprehensive validation checks on that data to make sure that it's fit and proper, ultimately storing that in a database Around sort of the edges of that if you like, at the front end we have a portal. The portal's designed really for two mechanisms. One is to allow our customers to very simply gather information from the third parties they're dealing with. So simple drag and drop interface but People also drop their horrible spreadsheets <laughs> into <it. laughs> we love spreadsheets <laughs> yeah no absolutely right so they can drop those spreadsheets in and for those that are more tech savvy we also have api capability on that as well so, so you can really plug in properly into correct. the systems yeah and i'm sure we'll talk a bit more about, about journey later on and then as we mentioned before there's a very good analytical capability that sits over the top of our cloud data warehouse proposition. So once that data has been cleansed through Intraly goes into a cloud data warehouse and then we've worked very hard to build a very sophisticated reporting model and reports off the back of that that help our customers not only understand from an underwriting perspective what their data is about but also from an operational point of view how that's working. And then the final product that we have is a product called Intarga Intaga's an onboarding and due diligence platform. So there's a lot of noise in the market at the moment about supply chains and sort of protection of suppliers and what would happen if those suppliers weren't trading anymore. And what our product does is it really helps with that onboarding mechanism. So proper due diligence is being done on the various third parties that our customers are working with. So it's a lot of core customers. Is it
0: nearly always an MGA or it's anybody who's doing a lot of delegated business?
1: Yeah. So primarily we work with businesses that are receiving data. So of course, insurers and reinsurers are there, but also brokers receiving data, fronting carriers, and certainly some of the MGAs that are perhaps subdelegated. And underwriters doing a lot of delegated, Correct, yes. Correct, yeah. So
0: again, you're helping them to validate with that other product within Targa. You're helping them to jump through a lot of those hoops because there's a huge amount of demand on them on compliance
1: and everything these days. Uh, absolutely right. Yes. It's essential that our customers know who they are working with and making sure they're fit and proper organisations.
0: What about the scale, where you are, sort of, as a business? I mean, how many of you are there, and your customers maybe give us an idea of sort of how much GWP is coming through. It's probably difficult for you to (laughs) ascertain all of that, actually, but anyway, give us a rough idea.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's fair to say we're the largest supplier of software of of our type in the market. So we work with, as I said, mentioned earlier, about 46 customers at the moment. Our business is about 40 people strong. We estimate that there's somewhere in the region of 350 to 400,000 Baudreau. So, individual files going through the platform across all of our customers, which is, I guess, per year. Per year, yeah, Yeah. which is in the region of £5 billion plus worth of GWP. And where are most of you based? so the vast majority of us are based in the uk in and around london of course as with most organizations with covid we've got a sort of a hybrid working model people working from home as well as within the office you tend to work quite a bit in the office absolutely
2: yeah in in terms of the kind of existing client base that we've got you know everyone is pretty much in the square miles it's great for me to be in the office five days a week and bouncing between offices
0: but obviously you've got that core where you started in the london market with uh, robert Bound and his friends asking him to help them out (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's a very lloyd's kind of story actually but obviously you've come a long way from that. Um, How international are you? And and presumably you plan to be even more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We really do see ourselves as an international organization now. So as you rightly say, the majority of our customers are still in the UK, but we now have seven customers in North America and three customers in Europe. And they range in size from smaller startup entities right the way through to tier one North American carriers. So you've got a really flexible set of services and products. It doesn't really matter what size you are. A lot of these people have got a lot of the same problem. I mean, I, th- I think you've, you've probably seen the same, haven't mm. you? The, the product crosses boundaries and territories really well. It is a similar story wherever we're going. And the problem is the same. There's a lot of data that's flying around the market in... Non-straight-through formats, so you know a lot of spreadsheets, CSV files, those sorts of things,
2: and the problems <clears> being solved currently in a range of ways that are just not optimal. I think that's probably the, the biggest surprise to us, wasn't it? As the kind of whether it's US program business or European scheme business or kind of Lloyd's business, everyone seemed to have the same underlying issue of <laughs> yeah, lots of bordering formats coming in, difficulty cleaning it. Yeah. It's
1: exactly the same problem. Doesn't exactly. matter where yeah, you go, yeah, yeah. just different terminology, obviously. And it was really surprising when we moved into new territories, so for example, North America, our initial impression was that there is bound to be businesses out there that are solving this problem, and you know light years ahead in terms of they've been doing it a long time. Turns out that there really isn't our technology has been really well accepted in overseas territories. And it would seem that the way that the problem is being solved is through either throwing people at the problem mm. or just very fragile, homegrown solutions that don't quite do the job properly throwing people with problems is
0: a very expensive thing to do. And actually, usually they don't like it very much. You- <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. In London, we've spent you know at least the last 30 years beating ourselves off about our technology, perhaps always thinking it's substandard or it's never quite as good as everybody else, or it's not as good as we've always wanted it to be. But that's a good news story. So you've got USPs. So there
1: probably are competitors
0: out there but what are the viper usps when you're going out to those new customers and you're saying that we can do this
1: really we're focusing on three core pillars when we talk to our customers so the first piece is where we start and what we've always done which is to look at process efficiencies operational efficiencies so what tooling and and help can we provide to our customers to make it really easy to gather the information that they need to process it really efficiently And to get it into that single, common, consistent format and importantly, have a data set ultimately that they can rely on to use for other purposes. So that operational efficiency piece is something that we've always been very keen on. The risk and compliance piece really is the second piece of the puzzle. So what we're looking at there is particularly if you look at the Baudrillard side of things, making sure that the business that's being written sits in line with the terms and conditions of the contract that the third parties are on. So is the business being written in the right territories in the right timeframes? Are the commissions correct? Are the limits correct? All those things. And then the third piece, and this is really one of the most important elements, is to do with what is then done with that data. So the analytical proposition. So when we've processed the data, what can we gather from that data to help that business run more efficiently? So if we can improve our customers' bottom line by one or two percent, it's a huge amount of money for a lot of our customers.
0: On five billion, that's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> always surprised me when you have a big hurricane or something. As a journalist, we always knew there was a story. There was always going to be at least one binder that had gone completely rogue. And everyone thought it was doing SME business <laughs> yes. in Oklahoma, and it turned out it was writing Florida Coastal, just because, yeah. you know, it could, because people hadn't really noticed that it was back in the old days. or so you only find out about a year later. And of course, so you're really at the cutting edge of just checking that people are doing what they're supposed to be well, doing. Totally. And
1: if you think about it, it, you know, one of our larger customers might be processing more than a thousand boardroom per month and to try and actually do something with that mm-hmm. manually and to check that sensibly yeah. uh, without a system.
2: I think it comes back to that piece of, you know, how do our clients show that they can establish a good level of control across de- that delegated business as using Intargo or Intraly. but now we're shifting the needle away from back office processing to does your DA underwriter actually know how much exposure they have in certain areas or is the MGA writing them enough business actually going into kind of some more thought-provoking conversations. I think we'll talk about that in a minute, but before that, what sort of time and cost
0: savings are people making? Just the simple front end of thinking, I can free up my people to do other stuff. They don't
1: need to be doing all this. I think that's exactly the right mindset. So if you're looking at those three pillars, that first one of process efficiencies, of course, the idea is that we can provide the tooling that means that they can deploy less people to doing the manual work that they were previously doing. So there's, there's absolutely a very clear return on investment, just from a people point of view, if nothing else. But I think the real power is coming from this analytical proposition where if you can look at that and say, actually, if I did this thing better, that will improve my loss ratio, whatever it might be, and therefore the bottom line looks a lot better.
0: So it sounds like you have a reasonably easy sell on the first end because you can sort of say with quite a lot of confidence that it will pay for itself pretty quickly. Yeah. But at the same time, then you've got the added value to say it'll pay for itself pretty quickly. But you can go into a whole new world once you've done this. And Absolutely. you can start to really understand yeah. and help better underwrite your delegated yeah. books, right?
2: I think we were in a really fortunate position having in Charlie already. So, you know, most conversations we usually were we're having saying, OK, insights is great, but we were relying on a good data capture tool. And, you know, it's the quality of the data good enough to do some quality and reporting. you already know it. it is because exactly, you helped ingest it in the first place. Precisely that. So we were a really, really fortunate position to then bolt on insights after and say, okay, we should try and really leverage, exploit the analytical proposition. That's
0: the really interesting part where, you know, you're starting to fill up a data lake, a timely lake yeah. of data as well, where you're actually seeing close to real time. First of all, I'll ask you actually, how close are we getting to real time in some of these things? You know, the lovely thing would be to have an underwriter sitting in London or wherever And saying, well, this is what my delegated relationship has done today what's it done in the last five
1: minutes. Totally. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you think of the current state, so if the process is a monthly border is produced, that's going to be produced and issued maybe 30 days after month end. It's emailed to a carrier. Now you already bring back
0: very painful <laughs> memories of my own Spanish binders <laughs> business and just trying to get the accounts through. It's I was be totally lucky like if that was 30 days. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Really oh, it was never 30. No, It was, been it was
1: already been two quarters after the quarter. Oh, exactly <laughs> yeah. right. So, You know, today you could be looking at data that's maybe 90 days old and you're making underwriting decisions based upon, you know, something that's a quarter ago. Moving to that real-time data exchange means that you get that data now less than 24 hours old. So you're able to make those decisions much, much faster and take action if you see trends happening that are not what you want. And that journey is absolutely real. You probably saw recently we announced a partnership with Insurity. They provide a lot of the MGA systems for US MGAs. Right, And we're already working on a project where we're looking to take data from their system and push it straight into one of our customers' platforms. And so the underwriters is getting those insights. And also, what about things like aggregation you
0: mentioned? So again, so you're worried about your Florida ag or whatever, yeah. earthquake, etc. cetera. Yep. You can map that on to those people's, or you can get that ingested yeah. into their systems, whatever else they're using, Precisely. the models they're using. The
2: whole idea of kind of the delegated board row or binder board row coming through has actually opened us to SOVs and things like that, yeah. receiving different types of border races. SOVs, scheduler values, border. Ah, I, know, I know what that is.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yes I'm, I'm always on a mission to try and clarify those three letter yes. reviews before we get too many in any <laughs> one <laughs> podcast. Otherwise, the notes section gets really, yeah. really so full. We're,
2: we're seeing a growing demand for things like that, and you're absolutely right. That idea of having an MGA based out in Oklahoma binding a risk on the same day and that being pushed through into an underwriter in London, seeing that pop up on their screen, mm-hmm. the analytics updates real time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're right. And if you think about sort of cat events, you know, the open market's probably got a view on potential claims really quite quickly, whereas you're looking at that 90 day lag. So someone's asking the question, what's our exposure to this hurricane that's just come through? We'll tell you in 90 days.
0: Yeah. And you've got your treaty renewal coming up yeah, as well. Yeah. So, you know, your outwards manager's going to be on your back as well saying, what have you been doing? And the, presumably up until now, the delegated department's always absolutely in the doghouse when it comes to
1: the reinsurance guys, because it's like they're never going to have the same data that everyone else has got. Totally. And, and if you think about it realistically, you know, around 40% of the business Lloyds do is on the delegated basis. So it's a huge huge chunk of business. Absolutely. It's mm. massive, isn't it? How do you get all this stuff to actually work?
0: Because it's fantastic talking about the products and services and what they can do. How do you do it? How did you get it? You haven't actually got a pointy head. Before, but I, I just thinking you probably <laughs> oh, somebody does. I normally wear a hat so you, you can't
1: tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we've got a fantastic team behind us. So, so I guess there's two things. First of all, we've been doing this for some time. We've got the lion's share of the market that we're working with and the combination of the skill set that we have, but also the input that our customers are bringing to us through user groups and special interest groups and other sort of communication sets, day-to-day interactions with our customers. It really helps inform how the product evolves and what features we bring in, as well as things like compliance issues that come along that we need to sort of help our customers with.
0: Also, I suppose you've got that maturity as well, because, you know, you've got regular customer base, you've got regular income, you can make those investments. Absolutely right. you you know, know,
1: this is something you know you need to do and you want to develop this product further. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think something that really helped to springboard that back in 2020, we were backed by attending private equity. And that really helped us to sort of shape the company to to where it is today and, and to drive it even further forward, bring out products like Insights, which has taken a lot of People power to sort of work out what the data model looks like, what reports we should be, and again, we've done that in collaboration with our customers to make sure we're delivering what they need, not what we think they need.
0: Yes, and certainly, I saw on your website I was reading about you know that you've made some investments there. You've, some of this analysis is algorithmic, and perhaps I don't know AI is sort of buzzword of the moment. So you're incorporating some of that into those insights there. Yeah,
2: I mean, in terms of some of the technology we're using, obviously leveraging some third-party technology as well. So. Snowflake being a large US cloud-based data warehouse, so we're kind of leveraging leading tech in that space and then also looking at obviously things like AI and ML and kind of Power BI and seeing how we could best apply it because obviously what we don't want to be doing is just introducing it for the sake of it ultimately and there needs to be a real world example for it. Do
0: you think there will be some useful examples? We're talking about
2: AI a lot and actually
0: i'm looking at you know what it could do for a journalist and some quite useful things you might be able to do but it doesn't seem to be quite there
2: yet for us potentially it could be kind of predictive analytics particularly within the da space there's a huge amount of data being collected by our carriers so if you've got five years worth of border data binder data could we then start look to forecast and binder in your process could you start looking at forward projections and Mm. and things like that so you could be saying you've done this much in the first quarter Mm. then i
0: think
1: you're going to end up here you know, based on previous experience. That's absolutely one use case. The other is maybe asking questions of the data. So rather than having specific reports that are pre-canned, actually. Or are you doing something wrong? Have yeah, you, you, mm-hmm. you
0: suddenly become the cheapest one in the
1: market?
0: <laughs> <laughs> all the brokers know. <laughs> There's always that worry, isn't it? Are so we having a really good quarter? Why is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, stop that instantly.
0: <laughs> and any other things, you know, when your top customers, the ones that you interact with, the most are pitching you to, say, this is the problem I really want you to solve. What are the ones you're putting on the table and, you know, uh, that are
1: competing for budget funds? I think the straight-through processing piece is one of the biggest projects. And as I say, we're, we're a long way through that project already, and we're actually going into test mode with customers on that at the moment. And that's working really well for us. The analytical piece we want to keep on pushing forward with. We think that that is going to become more and more valuable for mm. our customers. I mean, do you think we're going to get rid of spreadsheets?
0: Because when we go to a fully digital market, one presumes that it's just going to be bits and bytes flying around mm. and we won't really need CSV files anymore. I mean, we'll never probably cure ourselves <laughs> of our addiction of them,
1: but maybe for some very small, low volume things, maybe. I, we I think them. you're right. I think if you're a startup that's particularly focused on tech and they want to be very, very efficient, then today we can help them to put business through the platform in real time. That is fantastic. I think for those companies that are currently operating on spreadsheet, Baudrill or the like, we can definitely support that model today. That's our bread and butter, but we can also help them on that journey towards the more real-time data processing. And it's certainly in our customers' interest to get towards that point because ultimately if they can get that data in a much more timely manner. They can make quicker decisions which are going to impact mm-hmm. their profitability
2: i think it's interesting obviously speed is always going to be of the essence as mm-hmm. we're talking about apis but data quality is still a massive thing obviously my day-to-day interactions are with a lot of our existing clients and the big focus on across a lot of the da operations teams is still how can we get to a better position of data completeness data quality data accuracy so you know talking about the analytics and the apis ai is all great really really exciting stuff but still got that kind of notorious problem of the data coming through mm. on the border, whether it be a spreadsheet or an API or, or an email. So intrali is never going to be sort of put out to pasture.
0: <laughs> I know. It sounds
1: like. <laughs> I don't think anytime soon. <laughs> no,
0: no, no, no. Obviously, we've had adoption of Accord. Now, I'll have to remember the abbreviation, Global Large Commercial and Reinsurance. Is that, is it good. Is that in the right order? <laughs> uh, probably in the wrong order. Anyway, uh, that'll be one for the notes. But. Accord standards adopted in the London market. Is that the kind of eureka moment for some of this to say, why don't just everyone adopt these standards? Because that's what we're doing. We're doing large commercial
1: generally. Yeah, no, look, we're partners with Accord. We're part of the Accord community. We're very supportive. The guys are doing a fantastic job on Blueprint 2 and some of the CDR, the common data record stuff they're doing for the open market. I think the challenge is not so much what standard we use, because I think everyone agrees that that is a great standard to be working to. But rather, how can the third parties, the, the MGAs, the cover holders, the TPAs, DCAs actually comply with that, those standards? So are there systems that are using today capable of working in that way? And a lot of the cases and a lot of the, the answers to that is no, that their systems can't cope with producing that particular output or the cost involved in adapting their systems to to meet those standards is actually onerous for them. So tools like ours are are really good at taking whatever format that data can come out of and then translating it into the desired format. Do you think we'll ever kill off
0: the border row? I mean, if someone's running something fully digitally, fully straight through, then actually the border row is going to be for the carrier, ultimate paper providers. They can just download it whenever they want, create their own management information, MI around it. They won't need to be told anything because they can just look. That's our kind of Nirvana state. Yeah. It is. Uh,
1: look, I, I think where our focus is, is cleansing the data and analyzing the data. But also we, we talked earlier about the cloud data warehouse that we have. Yeah. That also becomes a great mechanism for sharing the data. So as you rightly say, rather than processing a spreadsheet to output a spreadsheet to share, Why not process a spreadsheet to put in a very comprehensive data model, then invite other parties in to get the data that they're allowed to access. And it becomes a much better point because you can play with it and you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, absolutely right. So there's definitely benefits in that. I think cover holders, MGAs in particular, range in size. Some are sort of two-person operations and they're working out of a shed somewhere. And asking them to comply with certain standards is going to be very, very hard for them. In fact, they're probably. Producing the boardroom manually right now by typing stuff into a spreadsheet. Yeah, but then if they're
0: a small business, it's sort of, it's not that onerous, isn't
1: it? Like me, you know, just adding yeah. up my invoices at the end of the years for the tax man. It's not very complicated. oh exactly. So, so to ask them to buy a system that will produce in a certain standard, there's really not that much need.
2: One of the interesting things recently has been the just the amount of kind of risk level data that some of the carriers are requesting, whether it being coming from the underwriters or the actuaries themselves for kind of reserving purposes, whatever it may be. But the amount of data now that's trying to be captured from border in particular whether it be you know like property some of the border now going up to kind of 200 columns on a spreadsheet which can be you know that's pretty crazy. difficult to...
0: so really getting into exactly. what type of roof it's exactly. got and yeah, what kind a. of yeah, how far trying, it is from and a river is, yeah. yeah but stuff yes before i'm just going back to my spanish one which just said one word you know yeah. <laughs> and it said the name of the company and it said how much limit there was you know a bit premium commission i mean that was about it and you could ask but it would take you about two weeks to tell you actually what that entry <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, yeah.
2: One of the things that we, we're also looking to do with this, this warehouse that we're, we're kind of exploring at the moment is how we could potentially augment the border road data using third-party data sets. So obviously this idea of, you know, if the MGA isn't able to provide... If you've got the zip code, you can exactly, find yeah. out an awful lot of stuff. And the things, the things like the kind of distance to coast, things like that. These are all kind of Cresta zones. They are publicly available. Ultimately, can be provided through kind Flakes of so we can plug in and augment the border road data. So entering a different remit.
0: Something that's also very much in vogue, well, you already mentioned one collaboration you've got, but you've joined others' insurance ecosystems. Is that the way of the future? And maybe you've got your own ecosystems as well, and then your ecosystem will then be part of someone else's ecosystem. It's almost like sort of hiving in interplanetary systems or interlocking in different ways. But it does seem to be the way things are going.
1: Yeah, I, I think there were two important decisions that we made within the last couple of years. One was that it's not always best to build every bit of tech you possibly need, so that's why we're leveraging You won't suddenly start doing a policy administration Well, that's system, it, that's it but point? also, you know, the best in breed analytical tool is Power BI. You know, we're not gonna go out and build an analytical tool. We'll, we'll, we'll just use what what is best in breed. And the second thing is to do with the partnerships. A lot of our customers are using similar tools and the state was that almost they were expected to be system integrators. So they would buy bits of software from different vendors and somehow be expected to plug these things together and make them work. And we just feel that by working with other established system providers and being able to provide pre-configured connectors, Advantage goes one example where we can plug into their ecosystem very easily. Some of our customers are going to be using their tool sets already. Obviously, any regular listeners know that I know quite a lot about 100 Go
0: because I've been sponsoring the main podcast for quite a while now.
1: Yeah, so I mean, that's a a no-brainer. So it means that our customers can get on with doing what they do best and we can offer those integrations sort of natively.
0: And sometimes even there's the ability to, not necessarily competing, but there are competing systems. And it's almost a recognition that it's the client who chooses, it's the client choice. And we don't really know, we all think our things are the best. Sometimes we know our thing is better, but actually that doesn't necessarily mean that the client's going to buy it because they've maybe got a fantastic relationship with another company that sells something that's quite similar, probably does the same job, but the user interface isn't even half as good, but they don't mind because they've been working with that person for 30 years. They've always delivered for them other factors that we forget that are really important from a client perspective. So what i like from the outside saying to these ecosystems is we're actually remembering that it's our customers far more important than all of us and we should make them happy and the happier they are the more they're going to use our stuff
2: well what's helped us in some cases is actually having people who are on the other side of the fence joining us in a kind of technology platform so having their expertise you know joining us as business analysts and who actually were on the ground using the platforms and day-to-day experiences can actually input and drive our kind of decision making where the platform goes as well so and Also, but the other thing is
0: just making it really easy for them yeah. to get on with what they do, and they don't have to maintain the integration parts, you know, didn't have to sort of build rubber bands between different systems yep. the for them, thing, and then, thing, then keep yeah. updating them as all those different parts of the systems update and and renew or get replaced. It must be keeping the onus on you, the software companies, who are far more expert at this, and of course, you know. You're going to maintain that you can drive that investment. You've got the investment. You've got the income to be able to maintain those APIs and those connections that are vital to make sure that you're part of the chain. We're adding value, ultimately. You're adding value. And you don't have to worry about where it came from before it comes to you. Neither do you have to worry about where it goes afterwards. That's right. You yeah. just have to do your bit really well, that's and it. make sure it's
1: connected. That's all. Yeah, absolutely right. So, so yeah, as I say, partnerships like Insurity, Advantage, Go Guide, Wire. These are all great things. They're tools that are well adopted, and it means that our customers can not worry about those rubber bands so much.
0: As a business, I mean, you know, we've been talking about you transforming, but I think it sort of takes you to another league. Where you've, you've had this really big scale up investment from Tenzing, global name in venture finance. Tell us about that. I mean, from the
1: outside, that's a sort of wow moment. You think, wow, that does put you in a different league. I think certainly from my point of view, what's really interesting is you grow the business to a certain size and then you just need that little bit of help to get it up to the next level and beyond. And what we certainly found with working with, with Tending and the team there is that they've really been able to help us, not so much with the domain knowledge, because, you know, we hold that, but with the business knowledge to understand the things that we can do to make the business better, to grow it, to improve it, and to just make us a bigger business than we were to start with. When was it they came in? 2020. So Not long ago.
0: That's right. And what about your own philosophy of this business and where do you want to take it? And, you know, you're an entrepreneur. I always like to ask entrepreneurs what sort of entrepreneur they are because some entrepreneurs sort of want to go on forever and they must want to have their name above the door. You don't have your name above the door, but you've got Viper above the door. And they must want, you know, that Viper will become the Microsoft of this. Maybe you already are actually, but other people have a different idea that they'll get to a certain point and they'll just buy a yacht or something <laughs> or that some people like solving one problem and they like to move on and solve another problem once they've proven that they can solve this problem they interest and they actually want to go and do something else where are you on that
1: scale i could change my name i suppose <laughs> and i wouldn't have my name up the door but i'm not looking to move on from this anytime soon i really enjoy what i'm doing here i've been doing this since 2009 there's a long way for this business to go we've been incredibly successful in the uk we're starting to have good success in the overseas markets, but there's still so much to play for. And I'd like to see the business become the global lead in the DA space for data exchange and analytics. That's really where we want to be, and we're well on the way to that journey.
0: It takes 13, 14 years to get to this point, and now you can actually Because you've got the infrastructure and now you've got the
1: investment, you can really take off now. I think you're right. Uh, Some might say, what took you so long to get here? (laughs) It's it's always slow at the
0: beginning, isn't it? It's like a snowball. You've got to roll it. It's tiny at the beginning and then eventually it gets quite big and then it just rolls off. It is.
1: And I think the more mature as an organisation you become, your objectives, your targets become clearer and clearer and you're able to execute on those much more efficiently.
0: And then you really know what you're good at as well. Absolutely. You know,
1: know where to go and yeah, where you're focused. You, you know on. what your sweet spot is. And what you find is that you start off with a core thing for us that was border management. And you don't move dramatically away from that, but you find ways to expand on that subject and offer a, a much more comprehensive product set. You know,
0: it's very logical then to go from border management into that data management absolutely and understanding right. and insights.
1: Yeah. And then the compliance. Yeah, absolutely right.
0: I wonder if, if there's anything else you want to add because.
1: I think we've discussed everything. (laughs) (laughs) And nothing to add other than say thank you so much for having us on. It's been good fun. And, uh, yeah, I really do appreciate it. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did,
0: don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in The Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium, where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience, because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com To find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry, Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.